0: And this morning we are so blessed and honored, as Pastor Lon mentioned, thank you, that Danny is here, Danny Unterkoffler. Many of you will already recognize him. Some of you may, if you've been here a long time, he might have been your children's youth pastor. He he might have been your youth pastor. And we are so blessed to have both he and Kaylin as part of our ministry here. And Danny is going to come and bring God's word to us today. You may recognize him as one of our worship leaders and as one of our electric guitar players. Did I get that right? I'm so bad with that kind of stuff. So, you know, this thing. So, um, Danny, I want to invite you to come forward to bring the word of God to us. And as he comes, will you pray with me? Our Father, how blessed we are and how honored we are to come and to gather in this place this morning. To gather as your children, Lord, with our hearts wide open and our minds wide open to that which you want to say to us today. God, we know that you are at work in our lives. We read in your word that you who has begun a good work in us will continue it until the day of completion. And we know that this moment is one of those powerful ways that you do that. That you speak to us through your word and you speak to us through those who have been equipped and called to bring your word and to explain your word to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would be transformed through your presence and your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Danny, thank you. Thanks, Pastor God bless Don. you.
1: All right. Well, if you have your Bibles or your phone or your tablet or your laptop or your wristwatch or whatever you got... Turn to Matthew chapter 2. Sorry, I'm not saying that as, you know, it's okay if you didn't bring your actual Bible. But if you have a text, why don't we open it up. And we're going to be looking at a a well-known passage. And whenever we get to these kind of Christmas passages, we've read them a lot. We read them every Christmas, sometimes before. And so we kind of, I just want to invite us to have new eyes for this this morning. To maybe make some observations as we read this. To just try to look at it maybe at a different angle and notice things that you haven't noticed before. Can we all try to do that today? Absolutely. All right. Matthew chapter two this is what our gospel reading says, starting at verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah, where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And this is directly from Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah... Are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. He's not wanting to do that. After that... They heard, after they had heard from the king, they went their way. They saw the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. We've all heard this story before, right? And we talk about it at Christmas. We talk about it at the incarnation. And uh, that was awesome. I didn't even plan that, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Uh, And we, you know, we usually hear this story because we're talking about magi and we need them, you know, we need them on our lawn in a blow up version or glowing, right? And we, they have gifts and we do that stuff. But there's, I got to tell you, there's a lot more going on in this story than just that. There are magi, they're going to present gifts, but there's a lot more happening here that I think is applicable for us. There's lots of views of why in the world do these guys from outside of Israel show up to worship the king of the Jews? Does anybody ask that question? That's kind of strange. And there's also four reactions that we see in this passage. Four reactions to the claim that the new king of the Jews has been born. We see a reaction from the Magi. We see a reaction from Herod. We see a reaction from Jerusalem. And we see the reaction of the religious leaders. And it's these four reactions that I want to talk about today. And sandwiched right in the middle of this whole passage is this random piece of scripture from the Old Testament about a ruler who's going to come that Matthew sticks right in the middle of that that we're going to have to talk about. And it's really interesting because... In the Old Testament, we see this. In the New Testament, we see that the people who react to the story, it's different than what you would think. You think that the Israelites are going to be so excited that the Messiah's come, but they're not. And we see these guys from the east side of town who get it. And so the story is ironic. And so this morning, we're going to explore these reactions because I think it has a lot maybe to say about how would we respond to Jesus being king? What does that mean? Where's that uncomfortable? And so we're going to explore those today. So starting in verse 1, and we're just going to work through this passage. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Okay, so we got to do, we have to do some historical context. And we could spend hours here. And it's fascinating, but most of you guys would hate it. Um, But a few things that I think are really interesting. That we have to remember. The Israelites... Man, they were oppressed for a long time. Like a really long time. We've been going through the story and they were oppressed for like 400 years in Egypt. And they finally get delivered. They get to their land and things don't really go very well for very long. It's actually quite heartbreaking. And they end up getting oppressed by Assyria and then Babylon and then the Persians and then the Greeks and now the Romans it's been a long, hard road for them. They're in the promised land, but it is not anything like the promise they expected. So they're struggling. Israel is actually uh, paying rent on their own land. They're having to pay to be in the land that God gave them. There's a lot of rebellion, there's a lot of insurrections, there's a lot of oppression, there's a lot of like frustration. It is, it's like a hornet's nest. It's probably not unlike what the Middle East is like right now. And then the text tells us about this guy, Herod. And Herod is the Roman-appointed king of the Jews, which is interesting because we just read about a new king of the Jews who's been born. And Herod is an interesting guy. He, He was like a warrior. He's a politician. He's loyal to Rome. And this guy, if you read up on him, you should. He is hardcore. This dude, you do not want to be friends with him. If your're friends, family, children, he will chop you down because he wants to keep his power intact by any means necessary. That's the kind of climax, the climate that Jesus is born into. It's, it's complicated and it's complex and it's difficult, and that's the stage that's been set. And so now we're going to turn to our first reaction. With all of that in mind, we get the reaction of the magi, and it says that the magi came from the east they come to Jerusalem and they ask where's the one who's been born king of the Jews we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him so these magi come and I got to just say a couple of things one I don't know how many of you guys read it and thought about the three wise men right it doesn't say there's three there could have been 50 there'd be a lot to put on your lawn right um but there it doesn't say how many there were Right? And we don't know that they're kings. We know that they're probably wealthy based on the gifts that they bring. right? But these people come from outside of Israel. And scholars really think that they're probably from like Arabia or Persia based on the gifts that they bring. And if that's true, the big point here is that they're Gentiles. Like most of us. They're not Jews. Which is interesting that they enter this story. They see the star up here which is really fascinating we don't really have time to talk about what that might be but they see this star god sends this celestial birth announcement in the heavens and they see it and they have to respond to that they could have seen it and be like oh that was cool and then just go back to making i don't know what they do but whatever they do but they respond to it and you know what they decide to do they decide that they're going to make a pilgrimage all the way to jerusalem to worship Like this is crazy, this isn't just like next door. They have to travel into Roman occupied land to go look for the new king of the Jews and guess what, there's already a king of the Jews who's probably not gonna be too happy when they come asking for the new king. Their response is worship. Their response is worship. See, it's not about a star for them, it's not about an event, it's about the king. It's about this king who's been born. And what's also interesting is it says that they worship, they come to worship. And this word in other translations means to pay homage, right? Like what you would do to a king. And in the ancient world, kings are not just kings. They're also connected to the divine, right? We see this with Pharaoh in Egypt. We see this in Babylon where, remember, Nebuchadnezzar is going to make the big statue and they're going to want people to worship And Caesar, in this context, is looked at as a god. So for the Magi to come and recognize Jesus as king is not just to say, hey, we saw this new king in the stars and we're going to come give him some gifts. But they're also connecting him to God. To the incarnate God who has come down in the flesh in the form of Jesus. The Magi respond to the new king by seeking to worship him. We're going to get to our second reaction. Herod and this man this guy's a mess it's awesome when King Herod heard this this is verse three he was disturbed this you do not want your friends describing you as a disturbed person right when someone's disturbed you're like there may need to be like an exorcism or something right you don't use that word it's a very descriptive word but we're told that Herod and Jerusalem are really really disturbed and that word, right? it's to shake, it's to stir, it's to agitate. They are terrified. It's like a visceral reaction to this. Which seems very different from what we just heard from the Magi. The Magi are like, hey, this king has been born in another land. Let's go take a long pilgrimage to worship. And Herod hears it, and they're like, like twitching. These are very, very different reactions. And we should say, huh, I wonder why that is. Like, why is, he, why is this such a big deal? and Herod and Jerusalem have the same reaction but they're for two different reasons I think see Herod's response to Jesus as king of the Jews he responds with fear because his power is threatened he's the king of the Jews not this little baby that's been born in Bethlehem his authority his power is being questioned I want to read this Uh, there's this guy William Hendrickson he's a commentator and I was reading this and he says it so much better than I could He's writing about the state of mind that Herod might be in. Listen to this. Was not he, even Herod, the one and only king of the Jews? Had he not received this title from Rome? Had it not taken him months, years even, of struggle to make this title come true? Would this rumor about another king of the Jews stir up the freedom riots among fanatics who hated him so thoroughly and had already caused him so much trouble? He's disturbed. He's disturbed because what Matthew's doing, he's saying, Hey, Herod's a pseudo Messiah. He's a false Messiah. He thinks he's the king of the Jews, but he's not. He's a pretender. And this little baby that has the possibility of being the Messiah threatens everything that his life is built on. And Matthew is drawing this connection between Herod. Who had to be placed as king of the Jews. Who fought and clawed and killed his way to get there. And this little baby who's been born with this promise. Who's the king at birth. Because he's the son of David. And because he's the son of God. And he's drawing this interesting comparison. See, Herod reacts to the new king of the Jews with great fear. Because he knows that he's not the true king. And then we get the reaction of Jerusalem which is really similar. They're terrified, but for different reasons. They're tired. And let me explain this. Why are they terrified? They should be waiting for the Messiah, right? We would think this would be good news. They're oppressed people. They're like, finally, let's do this thing, right? Let's raise up like a really cool battle cry. But they're they're terrified because they know what Herod is capable of. Remember, he's like this kind of narcissistic lust for power kind of dude. We've all met guy, people like this, right? We have. I'm not going to make a raise our hands. I know we have. So a bad day for Herod becomes a bad day for Jerusalem, right? Let me give you two examples. So if you've ever worked like in an office, like I worked for Wells Fargo and this like corporate thing. And if you have a boss and then your boss has a boss, right? So there's a hierarchy. If my boss gets chewed up by his boss I know I'm having a bad day right because who's my boss going to take his frustration and his anger and his insecurity out this guy right here right or another example for maybe just another way of saying it I remember and this isn't an exact story this is just like a memories I'm putting together as a kid my mom would call me my brother and let's say hey dad's on his way home Dad, this is before seven months. Dad calls before he leaves work. Dad had a bad day at work. Something had whatever. So just don't tick him off. When he gets home, so Dad comes home. And then, of course, like I forgot to bring the trash cans in, so Dad's already like mad. Comes in, and you're just trying to not mess up, so you end up messing up more. You know, you say the wrong thing, and then at dinner, you're sitting down and you're just like trying to eat your meatloaf, you know. And But I had to have the biggest glass of red Kool-Aid and then I spill it, right? And it's, and dad just, right? And then to top it off, dad wants to watch the Lakers play and then they lose to the Celtics or something. And then it's just like a bad day for dad becomes a bad day for the house because he has authority and power in the house. He's setting the stage. That's Kind of what's happening here. Herod has authority over Jerusalem. So if he's insecure and terrified, they're going to feel that. And they have a really good reason to fear because if you're familiar with this passage, in verses 16 through 18, what happens is that Joseph takes Mary and Jesus and they leave to Egypt because Herod is trying to get Jesus. And Herod ends up massacring all of these baby boys in Bethlehem because he's so angry. They had a good reason to be terrified because though this Messiah was coming, this king has been born, what they're thinking is, oh my gosh, what's Herod going to do? This is another opportunity for Herod to go off the rails and guess who's going to have to pay for that? They're going to have to pay for that. They're hopeless. They're just trying to survive, right? They're not, this isn't, They're not trying to live their best self. They're just trying to make it through the day because they're an oppressed people and they don't know what's coming next. Jerusalem reacts with fright because they're just trying to make it. Leads us to our next reaction, the religious leaders. This is verses four through six. So Herod calls all these people together and he's like, hey, where's the Messiah gonna be born, right? And he finds out, oh, yeah, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, and because Micah wrote this, and this is where he's supposed to be, right? So they give him this information. Which is really interesting, right? Because the question should be like, well, they know where he's going to be born? They have all this information? But they're not, they don't seem super happy about it. The Magi were like, Let's go worship. Let's pack our bags. Let's go on a road trip. Herod's freaking out, and so is Jerusalem. The religious leaders are like, oh, yeah, we know exactly where he's going to be born. It's right here. You should go check it out. And they're like, they're sending the violent Gentile murdering king to go find the potential Messiah. It's problematic. Right? He's a rival king. Why would they do this? If they're really waiting for the Messiah, why would you hand him over to Herod? Right? It doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't get it. <laughs> I was hoping maybe you guys could. It doesn't make a lot of sense. See, they respond to the king of the, king of the news. That's supposed to say king of the Jews. I was still on the Huey, Lewis and the News thing from last time. Don't worry about that. King of, he's probably king of the news and the Jews. Um, anyways, we should probably just skip past this whole point. Uh, he's king of the Jews. They respond with indifference and unbelief. It's almost as if they don't even think that this could be the king of the Jews. Oh, oh, and it's the lowercase Jews, not the uppercase Jews. Um, Why would they respond like this? Why are they indifferent? There's been a lot of Messiah type figures that have risen up over there. So maybe they're just like, oh, this is another one. Maybe they just don't believe. They have all the information though. It's right at their finger. They know where he's going to be born. And it gets even crazier because in the passage, Matthew leaves out a last part of the quote from Micah chapter 2. And Micah 5, 2. And I think it's, I think I have it here. Check this out. This is, the, this is if you were to go to Micah 2 in your Bible. This is what it says. But you, Bethlehem of Ephrath, whatever. I can't even say it. Ephrathah. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel. That's what, where, where Matthew gets to. He leaves this out. Whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And that's interesting because if if you guys have read through Daniel, if you see ancient times or stuff of old, it should kind of trigger like this ancient of days thing, which is a name for God, a name for Yahweh. Yahweh is the eternal one. He's the one from ancient days. He is the one who goes back as far as it goes, however that works out. Which means that this shepherd ruler who's just showed up, is not just a king. He's the king. He's the embodiment of Israel's God, Yahweh. They just sent Herod to that God, to him, and he's a baby. See, the religious leaders respond to Jesus as king of the Jews, oops, sorry, uh, with indifference and unbelief. They have all the information and they miss it. I would love to say that I've never done that. I do it all the time. I would love to say that I never read stuff in my Bible and then treat somebody bad, but I've done it before. We can have it in front of us and they miss it. And, and it's not like we should be mad at them. We should be sad for them. It actually should break our hearts. And this is how we start to get to the center of the story. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Like I said before, this story, if you were to take the story and kind of fold it on itself, the very center seam would be this quote from Micah 5.2. Matthew is telling us, this is where I'm trying to get your attention to. Right at this center thing. And this Messiah, this new king of the Jews, is being contrasted with this crazy other fake Messiah guy. And it's all being worked out here. And here's the irony. The long-awaited Messiah, the ancient of days has come in Jesus. And the only people that get it are the guys who are from another country. And they saw it in a star of all things. They're the only ones who get it in this story. And this is interesting. This passage starts to reflect what's gonna happen in Jesus' life. Think about it. The Israelites as a whole, generally, are going to reject Jesus. And who is gonna be brought into the family of God? All of you, all of us Gentiles. It, it's a kind of like a, a small picture of what's gonna happen. Think about the end of Jesus' life. The same characters show up. I mean, Jesus is there, but he's like a full-on dude at that point. It's not Herod. It's another guy named Pilate. And then it's religious leaders, but maybe it's like their kids. You know, I don't know, right? The the same three people are in the beginning of the story, and they're going to be at the end. And this time, Jesus isn't going to escape, He's going to die on the cross for our sins. And because of that, he's going to bring in, he's not going to become just the king of the Jews. He's going to become the king of kings and the Lord of lords over all. It's an incredible picture. And it's so interesting that he's showing us that here. That these magi get it. And we read on and it gets really interesting because the story's not done. We get the reaction of the Magi. So, so they haven't actually got to Jesus. They're going to get there. So it's going to get good, I promise. And so what it says is they, they hear from King Herod. They're going to go. He says, hey, go find, the, go find little baby Jesus. Go find him. And then when you find him, let me know I want to come worship him. He doesn't want to worship him. Right? So they finally get there. And it says that the star stops over the place where the child was. They see the star, they're overjoyed, they go into the house, they're going to worship him, they're going to present treasures, and Jesus is finally going to get the praise that he deserves. And this is interesting, because it says in the text that the the Magi are overjoyed, right? And if you read it like in in the Greek, it's like they rejoiced with great joy. They have double joy, exceedingly great amounts of joy, joy times two, Whatever whatever the thing is, there is a mass amount. It's like a joy bomb got dropped and blew up. And it's interesting because the only people in this story that seem to be happy are the Magi. Everyone else is depressed, terrified, disturbed, agitated, trying to kill people. And the Magi are the people who are worshiping. They're the ones who've also taken the longest route to get to this point. They have given up a lot. We don't even think about, like, they left their home. Were there people there like, why are you guys leaving? What about their jobs? Did they take their kids? I don't know. Did they pack a lunch? Right? Like, what was the journey like? And we think, like, oh, it maybe took, like, they got on a flight and they just, like, they were there, like, two or three hours. Like, it probably took a long time. And then it says they get to Jerusalem and that's, they don't even know where Jesus is. They have to talk to Herod. And then they finally get here, they've given up a lot. And they are, they're not tired, they're not ex- they are full of joy that they get to worship the king of the Jews. Though Jesus has been rejected by pretty much everybody else in the story, he's worshipped by these Gentile uh, foreigners who've come in. And they give him gifts that are fitting for a king, which is beautiful. And it's in sharp contrast to the other things that we see in the story. Like we said, the reader's not expecting this. This is not what you think would happen. And yet, if we have been reading our Bible, and I know all of you guys have because we're going through the story, this shouldn't sound unfamiliar to us. This is not the first time that God's been rejected. Right? Do you guys remember a few weeks ago, Mario Perez taught. He taught on 1 Samuel And in that passage, God gets rejected as king. And the people want Samuel to set up a king. And this is what it says. I'm not sure if I have it here. Oh, I did. Sorry. This is my first time with the clicker. It also has a, look at that thing. It's got a little laser on it too. This is what God says to Samuel. Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. This verse always breaks my heart. I think of like um, if we got older and I'm pointing, not me and Lon, <laughs> me and my wife. Uh, as we, if we got old, when we get older, if one of our sons just totally rejected us as their parents. And I think how heart-wrenching that would be to feel that as a parent. Could you imagine how God feels in 1 Samuel when his own people that he's delivered from Egypt and done all these things and provided in miracles, and they say, no, we don't want you. We want to be like everyone else. And so God's like, okay. He gets through that, and then he's like, I got it. I got it. I'm going to become a human. I'm going to become human so I can save them. And we're reading the story about it. And guess what? They reject him again. How heartbreaking is that? That's what happens here. But the story is because though they reject him, the rest of the world is going to worship him. But this is a theme. It's, it's heartbreaking to see. And it's showing, Matthew's giving us a picture of what's going to happen in Jesus. Like, that though this terrible thing is happening, and though God is being rejected again by the very people he's come to save, that no, he will be worshipped, he will be praised, the gospel will go out, and the kingdom of God will grow. So the question for us then is this. What is your reaction to the king of the Jews? It's really fun to talk about other people's reaction and kind of judge them, you know. And like, oh, Herod, man, that was pretty jacked up. And, you know, we all want to be the Magi. I'm not sure that we always are the Magi. See, Jesus gets rejected by Herod and all these people. And there's all these different reactions to him. There's reactions of terror and fear and apprehension. And then there's reaction of worship. But that worship is costly costly. And they have to go after that and it's full, it's full of joy. And it's these Gentile magi who actually see this baby Jesus for who he is. He is the king. And they respond and come through great lengths to see him. So are we like the magi? Are we like Herod? Are we like Jerusalem? Are we like the religious leaders? So let me, before you answer, and I, everyone raises their hands that they're the magi... <laughs> Are we like Herod? Do we struggle to hand over authority to God? A kingdom battle. God, I don't want to give you full power over my life. You don't need to see all my money, right? God, I doubt over what is, what are, I'm supposed to check in with God about what I'm supposed to do with my life, the kind of job I'm supposed to have. We're giving authority over to the king. I mean, I can resonate with that. I've got some Herod in me or Jerusalem man the cost of being a christian gets tiring you've lost friends because of your beliefs because of the way that you're trying to live and sometimes you start to lose some hope and it gets tiring like Jerusalem you just i just want some peace i can resonate with that or maybe we could resonate with the religious leaders we know all the stuff we know the theology we read the right books But we're missing the Messiah that's right in front of us somehow. I can really resonate with this. Because I like to read and I like to think a lot of things through. But sometimes we're still not living the way God's asking us to live. And so if we're human, and all of us are, I'm pretty sure. Most of us are human at least. A couple of you, I'm not sure. Um, Most of us are human. Which means that I think we're all a little bit like all these characters. We have a little bit of this in all of us because we're human, because we're messed up, because we're broken. And the invitation from Matthew is to say, hey, we're all like these other characters, but what if we tried to be like the Magi who recognized the king and were willing to take a journey to be with that king? See, every person has to respond to the claim that Jesus is king. And think about it. The church often worships Jesus as Savior. We often worship Jesus as Lord. And he is those things. And he has names for those things and we should. But it's interesting that the announcement that God puts in the heavens is that he's king. That's the message he puts out is that he's king. See, a king has power. A king has authority. A king has a kingdom and he has a right to the people in his kingdom. I think that's why Herod freaked out. He knows cuz Herod was all about using his power. I think that's why we freak out a little bit too. Especially in America. Right? We don't have kings here. But that's like a British thing or whatever, right? Like we're we're free people, right? We're pioneers, we're individuals. And there's a lot of great things that come for that. But us understanding that Jesus is our king is a little bit harder to process. It doesn't fit. I'm the king, man. I've been told I can go do whatever I want. So the understanding of Jesus as king has consequences. For it. it pokes at things that are uncomfortable for us. It means, as the Apostle Paul writes, that we have been bought with a price. Our lives are not our own. This should give us comfort, but it also should Make us think a little bit about that. What does it mean that we're part of Jesus' kingdom? Now, here's the good news. Jesus is not like Herod. He's not like Herod. Jesus is loving. He's gracious. He's merciful. But he's also fierce. He's also strong. He's also true. And he's also just. And if we're willing, like the Magi, he will be a faithful king to us. He will be a faithful king king to you and to me see we get the opportunity today to be ambassadors in that kind of kingdom with this kind of king who's not oppressive who's not threatening who isn't wanting to rule your life in these really manipulative ways and yet he also is saying you need to give your full self to me like the Magi, to be willing to risk leaving. See, like the Magi, we're all being invited as Christians to leave our home, right, Metaphor to leave a state of mind, whatever that is for us, and to go and to take the costly journey to worship Jesus both as Savior and Lord. Both things together. So today, in this Christmas season, I ask us, what would it look like to live as if Jesus was king? We can talk about it and we can write it and we can put it on cards you know, that we send out and that's good. But what would it look like today when you leave church today to live as if Jesus was king? What would that mean for our relationships? What does that mean when you step into the workplace and you have a 9 a.m. meeting? How is Jesus king in that space? How is Jesus king as your kids are home on vacation causing chaos in your home? What does it look like? That's the invitation this morning, to make Jesus on the throne of our lives all the time. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you sent your son, that he was born the king of the Jews. We thank you for this text, God, that highlights the different responses to your arrival on this earth. And God, we confess that we, we, we respond like Herod sometimes. God, we respond like Jerusalem. God, we respond like the religious leaders sometimes. God, but our hearts long to respond like the Magi. Our hearts long to see your announcement, God, and to, and to go after that. And to pay homage to you. And to submit our lives to you. We also recognize that's costly. It's going to require things of us. But also as the text shows. God it also results in exceeding joy. God I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. For this church. That God that, that as we live for you as we live to proclaim that Jesus is king, that you would fill us with exceeding amounts of great joy. It is something that is lacking in our world, God. Fill us with joy so that it overflows, God, everywhere we go. So that we're able to show grace to people and mercy to people because we know that Jesus Christ is on the throne. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And though people may reject him, he is the King. Jesus, be King in this church. Be King in our city. Be King over this world. And as we respond to you now, I pray that you would speak to us, God, and show us some practical ways that we could honor you as king today. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.